the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servant and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The Gospel of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you gave your apostles grace truly to believe and to preach your word. Grant that we might love what they believed and preach what they taught through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Before we tuck into the, the word for this morning, and um, I made a mistake and I prepared one of the other lessons. So before I preach it, I'll read it out. But before I even get to that, um, I just want to say to you all that I hope you know as a church what a blessing you have in your rector, Father Chuck Owens. I was... I was standing in his office getting my vestments on and looking out on the field that is the soccer, I think it's, there's not a football team, is there? It's the athletic field. And, and I was thinking, I, that wasn't here when Chuck got here all those years ago. And I'm not sure it's the case that when Chuck got here all those years ago, he was imagining that athletic field. But I do know that as opportunity presented itself for Church of the Cross um, to, to minister to the needs of people and thereby to grow, he took every opportunity. He made sure that Church of the Cross was positioned to put the gospel out into the world so that people would come to know him. And Chuck, that is an amazing gift, and I'm grateful for you. Also grateful for the generosity of, of Father Chuck and also this church. Two things I want to mention in particular. Um, six or eight months ago, I came to Church of the Cross and I said, uh, in the lawsuit with the Episcopal Church, we lost the bishop's residence um, and we would like to purchase it back. 
would Church of the Cross make a substantial donation to that, um, that project? And without batting an eye, y'all gave a, a, a magnificent gift to help us do that. And so thank you very much. The second thing that I want to thank you for, this actually I'm, I'm only tangentially related to, but my son Chase, my eldest, uh, is a, an ordained priest and is planting a church in Anderson, South Carolina, one of those many church plants that's going on these days, and they needed a sound system. And somebody directed them to Church of the Cross, and Church of the Cross provided a sound system. And this very morning is the first morning in their new space, and they are using that sound system. And Chase called yesterday to say, this is an amazing sound system. You, you just wouldn't believe how great it sounds. And so he said, please thank the people of Church of the, of the Cross, and please thank Father Chuck Owens for that. So thank you so much for your generosity. Now, because I made a mistake, um, let me read from Paul's letter to the Philippians to you. Paul writes in chapter 3, beginning at verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in God, in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. I, you didn't have to reply to that, but thank you. for. Um, I, I kind of realize I threw that as a curveball there at the end. Who knows, maybe you do, who knows the feeling of of wanting very much to walk with Jesus, wanting very much to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, so that as you behave and interact in the world, uh, what people will see in you is a reflection of Jesus. Uh, we, we, want to, we want to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ, as Paul, in lots of places in his epistles to his churches, suggests is what our goal is. But, but in spite of the desire to be more like Jesus, in, in spite of the yearning to, to see our uh, interactions with people be more compassionate and more grace-filled and kinder, 
Um, in, in spite of our desire to see um, every facet of our lives um, dedicated more and more and more to the gospel and less and less and less to the selfish things of ourselves, uh, we find that limited attention spans, limited times, bad habits, bad attitudes, short tempers, all those sorts of things that we deal with um, keep us from that transformed life that we hear about so often. And so we find ourselves getting discouraged because we look around and we do see some folks who are so kind and so gracious and so self-giving. And then we look in the mirror and we go, but I'm so selfish. I'm so self-centered. I'm so I, I get mad so easily. I, I have short words with people. Um, I, you know, the, the, I'm the road rage king. You know, somebody innocently cuts me off and I just go berserk. Whatever it is, that life transformation that we keep being told is out there and possible for us just always feels just beyond our grasp. It eludes us. Um, Paul talks about it this way. He says, um, that, that I counted a loss for Christ's sake. Indeed, he says, um, everything I counted as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So, so we have that image, but we don't ever get there. And so one question that I want to sort of put before us um, that Paul has suggested right before this portion of Philippians that we read, and that is that Paul has decided that the things of this world and the things of his own self, his name, his, his title, his prestige as a Pharisee, uh, his, his education, all of those things no longer count anything for him. He just doesn't think about them anymore. He doesn't think about what he has. He doesn't think about who he is. He doesn't think about what his rights and his privileges are. He thinks only about Jesus. And so a question is, how much time do we spend focused on ourselves versus how much time do we spend with our hearts and minds turned towards and thinking of Jesus? So, so, Paul writes this letter to the church at Philippi, where among other things that were happening, there was a failure to see their lives transformed to look more like Jesus, and instead more and more into just reflections of the images that they saw all around them. The same thing happens to us. We get turned into reflections of the things that we see all around us, the ads that we see on the billboards, the political things that are going on in this world, the heroes that we worship. We look like those things more than we look like Jesus. And, and our passage that, that I just read this morning, which opens at verse 12, opens with a very frank admission from St. Paul. He says, not that I have already obtained this. So Paul says, here's what I'm, I'm doing. I, I'm putting aside everything that used to matter to me. And I am setting my eyes on Jesus, and I'm straining forward towards him in order that I may be found in him, in order that I might uh, have a righteousness like his, in order, in short, so that I might look like him. But I haven't obtained that yet. See, Paul had gone to Philippi, and he'd preached the gospel. He had preached that one is made right with God 
and transformed, made alive in Christ Jesus simply um, by Jesus' grace through faith in the work that Jesus had done on the cross. That had been Paul's message to the Philippians. They had listened to him. They had come to believe it. They had begin, begun giving themselves to it. And then something happened that has Paul furious. As you read the letter to the Philippians, if you, ever, if you go home today and just read through it, it'll take not even a half hour, I don't think, to read through the letter to the Philippians. You ought to do it. Um, but, but what Paul is, is, says happens is as he was leaving Philippi, other folks were coming into Philippi. And they were saying to the people at Philippi, I know, I know, I know that Paul said that, that it's not by works that you're saved. I know that he said um, that it's just through faith in Jesus. And it is through faith in Jesus. See, these folks didn't deny that. They said, it's faith in Jesus. But they said, but it's also, it's faith in Jesus, but also keeping the law of the Old Testament. So if you want to follow Jesus, yep, you got to have faith in him. But you also have to work on your own self. You have, to, you have to keep the law. And that infuriated Paul because it taps into a very fundamental um, assumption that we have about ourselves as we live in the world. And that is we like to take jobs and tasks and things into our own hands and do things in order that we can feel better about ourselves right? So, so if somebody says, here's what you need to do. You need to wake up every morning, every morning, don't ever miss, and read the Bible for 15 minutes. That will make you look more like Jesus. We begin focusing on reading our Bibles, which is a good thing. I don't hear, I, 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 I'm in danger of you going, oh, the bishop said, don't read your Bible. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, if that causes us to lose sight of Jesus and turn our attention instead to how good a job I'm doing at reading my Bible, we fall into that pattern of legalism that Paul despised. And so that was what happened there, and it, it fits our cultural story so well to, to, to have our attention turned away from Jesus back onto ourselves and to the things that we need to say and do and, and be and all those sorts of things, because we have this notion that we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We make ourselves into what we're going to be. Our success stories are our success stories. But what Paul advises the Philippians, and what I want you to hear this morning as well, is that, is that you first ought to agree on the thing that really matters. And Paul has said that just a few verses ahead. In, in verses 7 through 11, um, Paul had said exactly what I read just a second ago, forget everything else, everything else, forget what you own, forget what you have, forget you know, your good looks and your smarts and your strength and you, your, your business and, and, and what, your, your portfolio, whatever it is, forget all that stuff. And focus only on Jesus Christ and on his righteousness that you might be found in him. And Paul says, if you have that down, the other things will begin to fall into place. If you, if you focus on everyone that you meet knowing that these things don't matter and just pressing into Jesus is what matters, then that righteousness will begin to take root. So, so the trouble that Paul is facing is he has learned that lesson. 
He has put all of the very high credentials and and wealth and power and status that he had in his culture in that day. He had put them so far behind him that he said, I consider those things, they're not even neutral to me anymore. Those things are trash. They are in the way. They they keep creeping up and they cause me to be proud of myself again. And so I I don't want to have anything to do with them. Paul has sort of taken all the certificates down off the wall and he said they don't matter. The only thing that matters in Jesus. He's focused on that, but not everyone else is. And certainly so many in the church at Philippi had become uh, all about what they could achieve and what they could do. Now, now listen, Paul has said, I have put everything aside pursuing only Jesus, but other people, Paul says, are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame, he says, thinking only of the things in this world. They are enemies of the cross of Christ, Paul says. Now, Now, let's don't imagine that they're Satanists. You know, let's not imagine that they dress up like Marilyn Manson and they do all kinds of evil things in public. You know, when we hear the word Satanist, we have all these sorts of hard uh, enemies of the cross of Christ. We have these nasty images. But what Paul is trying to point out is that anything or anyone who leads people to believe that there is something more or other than the simple work of Jesus Christ on the cross for them has in fact become an enemy of Christ. You don't need all the sort of shocking trimmings of all that. Once you have your heart turned away from the cross, that's enough. A a former bishop of mine, when I was very young, actually I was in seminary, um, and I had a mentor in the faith who, that man loved Jesus. I mean, he had put everything behind him, and he had set himself on the cross of Christ. And this bishop of mine, I won't name any names, he was the suffragan bishop of Chicago in 1992, you could look him up. Um, but he said about my rector, my mentor, he said, the problem with him is he only has one song to sing. But you know what his one song was? Jesus. And so I said, well, you only need one song to sing if you're singing the right song. And that's what Paul is trying to get. So they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God, Paul says, is their belly. Now, now we hear that and we think of, of the sin of gluttony. We think of this sort of just like can't control your appetite, that sort of thing. But, but I'm not sure that's what Paul is talking about. Again, he is saying whenever we focus on our own appetites, our own desires, our own needs, whenever we look at the needs of the world and say, yeah, but I want this instead, we have allowed our bellies to become our gods. Anything that we have set our hearts on in opposition to the values of the kingdom means that we're satisfying our desires. Now, Jesus has said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But one of the things I always ask is, but do we ever wait for them to be added? Right? I mean, do do we sort of say, well, you know... I don't know, I, I, need to make, um, I need to make my car payment this month. I've got to worry about money. And Jesus says, well, how about worrying about me and letting me add that to you? Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added. And we go, yeah, but Lord, what if you don't add it? I, I'm going to have to do this on my own. That's that fateful move. 
away from the cross and towards the things of this world. And then Paul says, uh, they glory in their shame, setting their minds on earthly things. Anyone. It's not just evil things, right? It's good things that can detract us from Jesus. Paul's not talking about these who glory in their shame as people who do nasty, shameful things. He's talking about people who glory in anything other than Jesus Christ. And all of those things point to this. What are you looking at? What is your hope set on? Am I, am I living and thinking and only planning for here and now? now some have said of Christianity that it, it, it becomes so heavenly-minded that it becomes no earthly good. But stop and think about it. All of the great enhancements of history that really help people, hospitals, Sunday school, which has originally begun as a school that met on Sundays so that poor children who were having to, being forced to uh, work in the factories could get educated. The end of slavery, all done by Christians who had their hearts set on the kingdom, but as their hearts were set on the kingdom, all kinds of glorious things were being added to the world because of them and through them. Thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. If I'm focused on what's going on in heaven, God can make his will be done on earth. Or as C.S. Lewis said it, aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you get neither. Not that I have obtained that, Paul says. Not that I have obtained the glorious transformation of my whole self into the glorious likeness of Christ through the power of his resurrection. But forgetting everything else, Paul says, I set my mind on Jesus. So here's the question. How much do we think about Jesus? How much do we think about heaven? How much do we let that be the thing that fills the horizons of our hearts and minds so that that's what we're thinking about? How, do we, how much do we really believe what Paul writes when he says, our citizenship is in heaven and we await a savior who will, who even now is, transforming our lowly selves to be like his glorious self? How much does a focus on Jesus, as opposed to a focus on all of the things of this world, mark our lives? Well, the point is, it didn't mark Paul's life enough either. But that's what he wanted. That's what he had set himself to. And he believed that it was necessary that all Christians ought to have their focus on the right thing if they want any hope of seeing their lives transformed by Jesus. So do you want to be transformed into the image of Jesus, Paul asks. And he answers, then don't look in, look up. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.